Welcome back, Rage Nation. Definitely not PR friends. Myself, Pete. He needs to stop, like, fucking getting cute with these kicks. John the Mountain Man Stokes. You're not putting them on my models, motherfucker. Chris the non-tech Asian. Put the tape measure up and get some wages. You, yeah, no, you really frustrated me. You walked away and you came back and your scalp would be thrown across the room. <laughs> I'm just here so I don't get fined. I will will share with you my one rage quit story. You know, I'm a robot and I don't have a solo or personality. eight. This is going to be a really great opportunity for everybody to see how you effed up. All right, welcome back, Rage Nation. We got another episode for you, and we're going to keep rolling with some Malifaux. Got myself, Pete, back again, and I found a new person to go ahead and give us some more insight. And we're actually going to be talking about the Outcast faction. And, I mean, if you're in the eastern part of the United States, I don't know if you can really talk Outcast without talking to Cody Hyatt. So what's going on, Cody? Not much, dude. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm always excited to talk Outcast. It's my. Uh, it's my bay. Uh, so this should be fun. Yeah, we've talked indirectly because I was. I, I still am, but I was in the uh, Outcast Discord, and there's a couple times we we crossed paths on there, and yeah. I asked for some some insight because you know, new into the game, Outcast do some pretty crazy things. Yeah, uh, I think uh, you started out with Hamlin, right? And then I think we were talking about Zip a little bit, and uh, yep, and that's that's what converted me to the Bayou. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna do the same thing that we do for all these other podcasts. We did an episode on Bayou, and then actually releasing Monday morning is going to be the Resurrectionist episode so cool. i had brandon lynch on and he talked about them because he he loves those undead bastards uh <laughs> so and i'm not looking forward to playing against him because i haven't played against him yet and the things he was telling me was terrible but yeah are you are you guys where are you at in south carolina i was just curious so the the guys that i do this podcast with uh chris and i are both from charleston and then okay. the other guy, John Stokes, he's actually up in Asheville, North Carolina. So it's kind of um, that part of South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. I was wondering if Lynch was actually like, a lo- like, uh, was that within driving distance or if you guys. It, it could be, but unfortunately from like here to Atlanta, it's like a five hour drive. Sure. sure. <laughs> it might be closer to drive down to where you are in Florida. Maybe. <laughs> well, no, no, not where I am. Cause I'm in South Florida, but. Okay. Jackson- so definitely not. Jacksonville has had events uh, when I first moved down here, and that might actually be about the same distance oh, oh, yeah. as Atlanta, or maybe even closer. Jackson, Jacksonville's closer, for sure. Yeah. Um, but we're going to do the same thing we did with those episodes. We're going to just talk some brief, okay, what is the faction about fluff-wise, get into some of the versatile models, and then we'll go kind of keyword by keyword to help people new to the faction, and also just to get some things that people like about each keyword, maybe some good tech advice. And then we'll kind of round it out with just some general general talk about the faction. So, uh, been getting into a good groove with these. So, it, it first one was two hours. I, I don't anticipate this taking two hours, but who, who knows? <laughs> maybe maybe you, we really get into this and we just spout a bunch of stuff. Let's go ahead and just start off, Cody, with okay, what are the outcasts? Because from what I gather from them, it almost seems like this is the overflow faction where it's like, hey, if you don't fit anywhere, join the outcasts. <laughs> Yeah, outcasts are basically that. I mean, uh, they're they're parallel with like mercenaries and other factions. 
like in War Machine, Mercenaries is my faction. So that's why I immediately flocked to the outcast because there's a lot of like different flavor and different personalities. I like when they all sort of mesh together um, within one sort of faction, even though they come from like so many different, like, I guess like positions within the lore. But yeah, I guess I guess at the core level, they're the people who would do sort of anything for money or uh, do anything for, you know, I, I guess with like Jack Daw or something, they're just doing something for their own personal uh, gain. Yeah, same with Hamlin. It's just they're just forces of nature, right? So I guess yeah. uh, forces of nature or people you can buy is kind of like what the outcasts are. Yeah, I loved Hamlin's backstory with him just relentlessly pursuing, you know, this 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 eternal power and not even the resurrectionist could really stop him. And, and there were points where he was literally getting impaled and he's still just coming at him with this, her, you know, horde of rats. And it was a really cool story to hear and, and read about. Yeah, he's really cool. It's, it's crazy that the, uh, he's basically the bad guy in stranger things season three. Uh, yeah. You know, which I was like, wait, wait, is this copyright infringement? What's Hamlet doing here? <laughs> <laughs> He's just, just this rat monster built by, you know, like every bit of uh, tissue that can be sort of, uh, sort of sewn together. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's really cool that way. Okay. So out of all the outcast kind of fluff and background, what would you say is your favorite story arc out of all of them? Well, Parker's my favorite master uh both in terms of like his aesthetic and how he plays on the table he's just sort of my favorite so i just i don't know i really like parker even though he's he's kind of not anything super uh, like unique like like maybe hamlin or jack doll would fit that specific description i just like that he's just sort of uh like danny ocean in like uh, the malifaux scene right he, <laughs> He's just coordinating all these heists and he's kind of like, but he's kind of like brutal. And I, and I love the doc. The doc is like, he just has like Stockholm syndrome kind of, uh, working with Parker. <laughs> he, he fell in love with Parker. Yeah. He just got kidnapped by Parker, but then he, he like agrees to stitch him up and, uh, work, but he still got his gun in his bag and you know, like he just sort of pats it with relying on some sort of felt belief that he'll eventually rise up against his captor, but maybe, <laughs> but he, deep down he knows he never will because, you know, like, uh, <laughs> just like, like spinelessness is like his, his origin story and like his, his core belief. And even though he, he, he hates his captor, he still sort of like loves his newfound life, you know, in some sort of yeah. weird way, twisted way. Yeah. I don't know. I love, I love I love Parker. Yeah, it's almost like uh, Earl and Zip's storyline too. How Earl is now a captor of Zip and chained up and fixing the ship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Apparently, a lot of that uh, going on in Outcast. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Totems are are very important in Outcast in terms of like plays. So I guess it would make sense that uh, the totems would have some sort of like symbiotic relationship that way. Yeah. Which I did notice the difference from going from outcast to uh Bayou. Cause in Bayou, the totems aren't always that important. It's kind of almost like a bonus. Whereas you're right in the outcast, a lot of times the, the totems really are kind of like a linchpin to a very fragile linchpin to what's going on with the, with the faction. Definitely. I would say, um, I don't know if you guys have talked about like second. Well, yeah, you have talked about like sort of second masters. Yeah, a little bit. And when you would bring them within outcast. But my opinion is that 
the strength of the totems is one of the biggest sort of balancing factors for not bringing a second master because you're missing out of that opportunity cost of getting one for free. Yeah. It's just because they're so important and buying a second one and then you have to, you know, if you want to strap their totem to them, it's another expensive purchase. Yep. There's a lot of interesting things going on with Outcast and I mean, if you had to summarize the faction just to somebody who's new or somebody who wants to switch factions, what would you tell them is the selling point of the Outcasts? I would say we probably have the best guns in the game. Okay. Um, some of the models are, you know, if you took them in other factions, I mean, I mean, a lot of factions would take certain models that have like min three guns, like Rusty Alice and Mad Dog, stuff like that. I think that is a part of the faction. And even when we don't have, even when our keywords aren't uh, the strongest guns, there's still like a significant range threat. A lot of the, the keywords are sort of a combined arms approach. Even the ones that primarily punch you to death often rely on some like ranged setup to facilitate what they need to have done. Um, other than that, I would say uh, fairly durable, it's it's hard it's hard to 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 paint them all with a, sort of the same brush because especially when they're so different, right? Yeah, I would also say that outcasts are one of the killier factions, and that is sort of their win condition. Yeah, um, a lot of the 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 keywords uh, completely rely on you getting some sort of attritional advantage uh, early in the turns, and then parlaying that into your points sort of later. That is also why. A lot of the keywords can feel sort of samey at certain points because, you know, this this kills, this kills like slightly differently and this kills slightly differently. Um, there's not a lot of like control masters or condition masters or anything like that. It's, yep. it's a lot of a lot of going face. Yeah. And that's definitely one of the selling points. And I definitely my my co-host, Chris, I would I would steer him towards outcast because he's all about just rushing up and punching people in the face and want to do as much damage as possible and i think that is one of the selling factors of outcast is is like do you like to hit stuff then you're gonna love this faction so i don't think outcast is an alpha strike faction like i think we're weaker at that play style than a lot of other factions but i do agree that we are like an attrition sort of uh, combat advantage faction. So you guys come from Guild Ball mostly. So I think most Guild Ballers would fit in well in Outcast because your positioning is very important and making clean trades is like how you turn your action points into victory points. Yeah, I'd agree with that because there's not, there's some movement shenanigans, but it's definitely not as as crazy as some of the other factions that I've seen from my from my limited interactions with a lot of uh, different ones. There's because in some of those other factions, there's some crazy, just bonkers, just things going on. It's it it's wild. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of um, synergy, I would say either. Um, there a lot of things within the faction are pretty independent operators. That can be a strength though, if you look at it, because Definitely. it's, it's good that you can be like, okay, I'm going to send this piece on its own on this flank and send this up the middle and that around the other flank, because some crews can't do that. I agree. I think I prefer to play that way. I do not like synergy crews in general, but if that, if you're, um, what is, what is, what is that? The, you know, the, the type of player that likes combo. 
combo decks or whatever. Just Johnny Combo over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a combo player, mm, there are there's still one of the one of the selling points of Malifo is that you can generally find your play style in every faction. Mm-hmm. And if you are sort of a combo player, um, you know, like Jack Daw is good for you, Zip is good for you, but uh, you may not find it in the entire faction. Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that kind of held me up is there were some things I liked about each of the individual crews, but it did feel a lot of the same to me, just kind of a different flavor. So that's, that's kind of why when I started playing zip, I was like, this is, this is what I need in my life, but there's definitely a lot of cool things going on for the outcast. So let's get started with the versatile model. So what are some of the good versatiles that you would bring in outcast which are which are the ones that you're like okay i like bringing this one in a lot of different crews the one that you you have to talk about first i think is the midnight stalker okay he is i think at the eight stone like for a lot of factions rely on like cheaper models to do scheme running duty Mm -hmm. um to you know like drop your markers flip this marker you know go go stand in that corner kind of thing uh outcast are five six stone like price point is mostly all combat minions there's not a lot of like decent scheme runners within the faction the faction is really reliant on the midnight stalker because he costs eight stones but he is an exceptional scheme runner who i mean if you if you put him up against like all these other like eight cost kind of schemey guys i feel like he's superior than every single one of them his ability to go fast his ability to leap like everything is just sort of exceptional i i have so many games where midnight will score me like four points he'll score five points you know he's just he is in and because like we said before the outcast is such a killy faction he's just very essential to you know turning that attrition advantage into a point advantage. Yeah. And just a couple of things that stick out with the Midnight Stalker is, I mean, he's manipulative. So you're always going to be on that neg if he uh, hasn't activated. He's going to most likely have fast because it seems like he's going to be on the opposite side of the table with Invader. And then he has Leap, which Leap is one of my favorite abilities in the game just because it, it just gets you so much range. So I definitely see how he's out scheming a lot of people yeah i mean leap is just i mean it's completely unmatched in terms of what you would want to strap on like a scheme runner right now even better if it's suited his isn't suited but it's only a three and he has showboating like the zip crew so Mm -hmm. it's kind of not that big of a of a of a weight but yeah he just he just does so much work the fast the fast on the other half of the board just opens up so many other possibilities like a traditional scheme runner, you know, can like walk or can drop a marker, leap and drop a marker. Just that extra AP opens up so much potential oh, yeah. that you don't see until you like actually see it. Like because you often have to position weirdly after you leap or something like that and can still get two markers out. Definitely. He is exceptional. Now, have I heard you on other podcasts trashing the Hodgepodge Emissary? Yeah. Well, not trashing. <laughs> so. A hodgepodge emissary is very fine <laughs> is what i'll say it does um, okay it's okay what i was so like the emissary is what i said on other podcasts is not that good uh, because when <laughs> when the game was first out people were like oh my god emissary best model in the game i take it in every single list yeah. uh, because healing's good but like i mean he is he's 10 stones and healing is 
So here, here here's a hot take for you. Uh, healing is like a a noob stomping tactic. <laughs> so it's not going to save you, know, you against equal caliber talent, huh? I think so. And I, I mean, I get that's a hot take, but like it, 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 traditionally, I mean, like what you're doing with healing is you're sort of, you're basically trading AP with your opponent, right? You're like, you did so much damage. I did so much healing. The difference was that my healing was a lower TN than whatever card you needed to do that damage, right? That's where you're getting the favorable trade. I just think if you're playing like higher quality players, they don't like give you that option or they don't care. Well, I I, you know I, I mean? think that if it's somebody who's equal to or higher than you, a lot of times, I feel like if they're going to go into a model, they already have it dead on the table probably anyways. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they're not just going to attack willy nilly. There's a per and that's, that's kind of where I'm transitioning right now. I'm go I'm getting away from just attacking just to attack. And then actually yeah. just like, okay, this is the model I want to die. Let's dedicate X resources into that. Yeah. And um, also like healing is, is sort of making a concession that we're going to fight in this space and this model is going to be important and you're not going to be able to have the sufficient target selection to know that you can just kill the healing model first yeah. if it's easier to kill. And then you're not even making that trade. And when you're bringing like a healing model, it's usually staying in the back and it's not spreading out where it needs to be to score points later. Yeah. Uh, it, so when you, when you bring a stone healing model, that's like a huge investment in like what your, your game plan is. And sometimes it's the right gameplay. Definitely. The emissary is definitely the best pick in certain pools. Uh, but he, he's just not something I'll bring in every pool. Um, I was going to ask you if the upgrades the emissary hands out make it worth it more than the healing. His bonus action is what makes him worth it. Uh, the incidental ski marker drop is just like when it's good, it's insanely good. Mm -hmm. That's that's the decision point for me. I, I'll bring the emissary when like uh, I need the ski marker in the middle of the table. I need I need extra ski markers. So. And I'm going to need it near the middle well, because he often doesn't get to do that action near, you know, the sides of the board. Plus, if you're playing Parker, you can never have too many ski markers, right? Uh, yes. <laughs> so you want to know a funny story is I was playing against, uh, who was I? I played somebody in a tournament up in Greenville and I played Parker. And, and this oh, really? is like my, I don't know, th this was back in like February. It was probably like my fifth game, maybe. And I was playing Parker and the end of the game, the guy looks at me, I think it was Jeremy, and he was like, I'm just used to seeing a lot more markers on the board with somebody playing Parker. I'm like, somebody must have touched you in, in a bad place then, because I don't know what I'm doing yet with him. Jeremy hates Parker, so yeah, it was him. Uh, yeah, I played, I basically played exclusively Parker at the beginning of three, uh, and then so many people have picked him up. He has, he has, he has a a very good rate of like pulling other faction players into outcast just to play like him or like one other mm, crew, yeah. you know? Uh, so like, I think half of North Carolina owns like a second Parker crew, <laughs> you know, Parker crew nice. for like their third or fourth faction or whatever. He's very easy to play too. Yeah. He's like the easiest crew in the game to play. And it's I fun. Like. It's just fun, so, you know, running around gunslinging people, but we'll, we'll get to him when we get to him. Um, is there another versatile model that you want to be like, okay, this is another one I like before we get to our first keyword. Hans is good when he's good. He's like the only way to get stunned out in the faction. So Hans is pretty cool. 
And I like Barbaros. Other people don't. Uh, I think he's he's good at filling a role that isn't in most of our yeah. keywords in that he does something for nothing at that price point. And by at that price point, I mean like eight to 10 point stone like price point. Are you, are you talking about his uh, black blood ability? Yeah. Yeah. He does black blood and he's, he just kind of bleeds on people and has armor and he can get a challenge off, but you're never, you, you're never going to cheat it. So if it goes off, you're happy. If it doesn't go off, you're happy. He has a built in, uh, shove aside. So basically he, for me, he's like a good top decker mm-hmm. when your severes are going somewhere else. Like I really like him with Vix because they're eating every card in my hand. So something else I need in that for to, to round out the crew is something who is never going to take a card out of my hand and it can still do something. Okay. So I think Barbaros is cool for that. Um, Johan obviously removes conditions and that's what he does. The prospector, I feel like you have to mention because it's, um, the outcast upgrades are kind of meh and most factions use their upgrades to round out um, mm-hmm. lists. But I feel like outcasts kind of use prospectors to do that because they're mining soul stones the whole game. So you can be an, in a position where you're like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not bringing nine stones to this <laughs> game. I don't need nine stones. So let me get a prospector. He'll mine some stones and I'll have an extra model and I won't feel bad about bringing nine stones when I have like, two models that can use it. Well, let's go ahead and get into our first keyword here. And I, I definitely agree that the versatile models for Outcast are pretty solid. I, I was always happy bringing almost any of them. But the first uh, master we'll look at is actually the one that transitioned me to buy you, and that's going to be Zip. I'm not going to go too much into him specifically because I think I think we talk about him a lot on my podcast. Uh, people have done deep dives on him. But what I want to ask you is, what does he bring to Bayou? So he he does a lot for the gremlins, but what is he doing for Bayou that you really like? You mean uh, Outcast? Yeah, that's right? sorry, that's what I meant. Let me give you sort of like my general idea of where a lot of these these sort of masters uh, align on like the Killy to Schemey spectrum. Sure. Well, first of all, that's a thing in Malifaux is that you know crews are relatively Killy versus relatively Schemey, and Zip is. Not the killiest, but he's still kind of killy, and he's like on the he's you know he's slightly schemy for an outcast model, not for the rest yeah. of the game. But so he he aligns a lot with Parker. He aligns a lot with the Vix. Uh, basically, any of those sort of fast and sort of efficient crews. And so the next, so so, so you got that gradient right. You got your killy to schemy yep. gradient. The other gradient that I think is important when you're playing outcast is efficiency versus security now let me explain what i mean so uh by efficiency i mean taking less actions to do what you're trying to yeah, do to do right? the thing that's kind of what kind of what efficient is and then security is using more actions to make sure whatever you're doing is like guaranteed and the balancing factor on that gradient or like on efficiency is that the efficient stuff is a little less reliable and the secure stuff is, you know, more reliable, but requires more action. Yeah, a little less payoff maybe on that too. Yeah. Yeah. Less upside potential, but uh, less ability of like your opponent to screw yeah. it up or something. So that's another gradient that's very important when we're talking about outcast masters, because they sort of align differently on that. Uh, even more than the the first one I mentioned. 
So Zip, he's kind of schemier, but he's also pretty secure. Uh, he's less efficient than the other schemier masters, but when he sets up kills, they're pretty guaranteed. He has access to injured. He has access to all the repositioning. He has Mancha Roja, which is like, if you need something dead, oh, he's a he, good he's a guy at making something he's a dead. <laughs> but because he's he has like some secure kills, he's lacking a little upside potential and the ability to turn kills into points sometimes, especially because he's a master who can't take interact yeah. actions. So within Outcast, he's that more secure thing. So I think what he's bringing that's unique uh, is sort of filling out the rest in ways that makes it a little more efficient. So, or you can just sort of lean into the security angle because like I've played zip with like three prospectors before yeah. because he's got insane henchmen. And if you're just mining crazy soul stones with those insane henchmen, every time you get a kill, there was no question in your mind that you were getting that <laughs> kill. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, you, you, you drug, you drug them nine inches with zip, put them in front of mansion first mate. You got nine stones. You're going to make nine more, <laughs> you know, before the game's over. So you're, you're stoning every Ram you can. You're stoning every uh, mansion trigger you want because you know, you're two shot in like oh, a yeah. 10 stone model, you know, you're, you're, you're dumpstering it for sure. So you can either lean that way or uh, bring in some like more flexible models to make him a little more efficient. But yeah, that's where I see zip being in the outcast faction is he's able to like secure space a little better and be a little more secure uh, when he's being okay. Schemy. And the one model I did want to ask you about just because this is on the outcast side of things is they recently updated Johan a little bit. So do you like him with some of his updates or are you kind of just kind of mad on him? Cause I feel like he does okay, but he, I mean, like you said, Mancha, and first mate are going to be doing a lot of the beating. So I don't know how much you like him. Yeah, I, I only bring him for condition yeah. removal. They made it where his condition removal is now suited. So you don't have to fish for yeah. it. And that's the only reason to bring him now. I think they lowered the stat on his, his, his melee attack. And he's just kind of like, yeah, I terrible. brought him when I played zip into uh curious and, and he did what he was supposed to. He, he kept people alive, you know, put them out. <laughs> Yeah, that's 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 all he's there to do. All right. Well, there's not a lot else I want to really say about Zip, just because, like I said, I know he's been covered a lot, and we covered him a good amount when we talked about Bayou. And I mean, obviously, there's a lot of uh, interplay between the the two factions with that. Uh, but now we'll go ahead and get into the other masters, which we're going to get deeper into. And let's start off with the. This is the only summoner, I believe, in Outcast, and that's Hamlin, right? Uh, well, <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Terra doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hamlet's sick, dude. So I think one of the best uh, selling factors of Malifaux is that the models play like they seem in the yeah. lore a lot more in this game than most other minis oh, games I've played. And Hamlin is a perfect example of that. Like he, he literally lures you in, plays the pipes and it gives you a bunch of little, you get, get some nibbles on your ankles that do basically <laughs> nothing until eventually you just, you just explode you just with die. disease. Yeah. Yeah. You're just a dead person. Uh, so Hamlin is perfect for that sort of like aesthetic uh, appeal. And he's really cool for that. Yeah. Reason. And you're talking really about the blight mechanic because he manipulates that to do kind of pulse damage and he can do a lot of really cool effects with that. 
And I think one of my favorite things that when I played my handful of games with him is that not just the blight tokens, but he can remove those to like cancel triggers. Uh, he can use that to put on extra damage uh, with like bleeding disease and things like that. And it's just, it's a really cool mechanic that they put in with Hamlin. Yeah, I really like it. And it's, it's great that it can't be removed. It's not like a condition. It is a marker. So those um, people that haven't played against Hamlin or with him, can you kind of explain how, because he's not really summoning rats. It's almost like he's just replacing models with either rats or the rats are building up into the rat king or the rat king changes into the rat catcher. So can you kind of explain that? Because it actually has some like ridiculous long threat with it. So I guess you could say that Benny is sort of like the pseudo summoner within the crew because he basically converts... Um, ski markers into rats with mm -hmm. an action. And once he's got the, the rats out, four rats can make a rat king. And then a rat king can take an action to turn into a rat catcher, uh, which is like another th sort of thematic thing, right? You know, like here come the, you playing in the, playing in the rats. Oh, they got tangled together. Now they're a rat king. And then here comes the rat catcher, you know, uh, <laughs> scooping them up, throwing them in the trash or whatever he does with them. So he's the one left, uh, you know, sort of circle of, <laughs> circle of pestilence if you will the rat catcher is pretty uh, legit too i mean it has don't mind me and it's it's a nifty little model yeah uh, i think everything in the keyword is pretty nifty um but i i would say the downside of the crew is that he is he is very firmly on that security end of the spectrum he gets he gets very little very little done uh, efficiently but once he you know once he gets those once he gets his teeth in you you're done. It's over. Well, and let, you know, I actually talked to a lot of people that like plague as a keyword. And a lot of them say they think Nix is like one of the best henchmen in the faction. Like th they just love him. He's, he's the bestest of boys apparently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's really cool. I mean, uh, if you want to infuriate your opponent, he's a great model oh, love because him. he has an ability to, whenever you fell a duel within three of him, he heals a point and he's incorporeal and he's a henchman. So basically you don't get to kill Nyx until the Hamlin player says, I give okay. up. <laughs> he, has, he has to basically decide that whatever you put into Nyx at this point is worth him dying. That's when you can kill Nyx. You don't get to kill Nyx before that. Yeah, I played <laughs> you know him I mean? into a Maw Tucket crew, and Gracie and Maw were coming into him, and basically he just ended up uh, healing back up to full. And and yeah, my buddy just looked at me like I just I hate that thing. It's I just want to kill yeah. it so bad. Yeah, he can be such a pain. Uh, he's very good. He's he has some like he he also has the I can't remember the specific name of the aura, but. While you're within uh, friendly models within three, don't suffer oh, severe. Yeah. That's good. That includes like, the red joker. That makes it a moderate. Uh, that aura is just absolutely incredible. Like when Shin Long was the most busted master in the game, I was like experimenting with taking Nick's out of keyword just to make it so that he couldn't hit severe with every freaking <laughs> attack he takes. So yeah, I like Nick's and he's the also, he's another source of the, um, you take damage equal to your blight uh, is condition. That, uh, um, where is it? Bleeding disease? Bleeding disease. Yeah, bleeding disease. So it's him, the wretch, and Hamlin are the ones who have it. So whenever you're taking that action on not Hamlin, you're happy uh, because you don't want to be using a master AP for that. Yeah, and I actually was experimenting too with bringing the obedient wretch for analyze weakness 
just to get rid of a lot of like armor mm-hmm. and shielding in certain factions. So I thought that was that was kind of a nice little tech piece for Hamlin too. I, I tried it a couple times and it wasn't terrible, but she's she's pretty flimsy. <laughs> I love her in Hamlin. I think she's like one of the best. <laughs> like she's in, yeah, she's insane oh, yeah, for sure. in Hamlin. I mean, like the ability where you can't cheat um, if you have blight on her on you is 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 absolutely incredible. Uh, especially when you add bleeding disease, you add analyze weakness, oh, yeah. those sort of things. I think she's sort of an auto include if I'm taking Hamlin. Yeah, she's and I cool. guess that means that you really enjoy what they did to Benny and uh, and the buffs that they gave him with the update. Then it's definitely a lot better. I think Hamlin, Hamlin in GG Zero was my least played master. I've won a tournament playing every Outcast master except for Hamlin <laughs> at this point. And it wasn't it wasn't because I thought he was bad as much as he was just sort of like uninteresting in GG Zero, but he's a lot more interesting now to me. Uh, yeah, I think so, there's a lot of playability yeah. with a lot of the new um, the new uh, strats that came out with it for sure. Yeah, the strats and Benny is just it's just uh, it's, it's a lot better for sure. Well, cool. So is there and I, I definitely have some feedback on this, but is there when can you not bring Hamlin? When is it like okay, this is a bad idea to bring this guy? Oh, uh, well, you start off. Well, you got feedback. I'm just gonna say that I played <laughs> in a league and I brought I brought him into who did I? I can't remember the master. It was Guild, and I felt good about it until he brought his second master. And I believe is it Sonia that bla- has all the blast markers, or is that? Um, so yeah, I got blasted to death. It was great. I had a fun time. Yeah, that was one of my beefs with Hamlin initially is that if you declare him, they just declare their blaster and then sort of screw yeah. you over as a second master. I've, I have like a few f- lists in my phone that is like just designed to like surprise Hamlin you. It's just like declare Parker and then bring in Hamlin and a stolen and like Benny or something and just try and <laughs> sneak it in. Uh, no. it's not that good um so yeah blasters are a problem um just because you're you're bunching up so much i don't think it's not as bad as it was in second edition where blasters could like break yeah. your engine down uh super easily i think it's more i think it's i think you can play out of it if you're if you you know if you're a hamlin one trick you blasters aren't as bad as mass guns mm. in general i think i would rather play like one blaster okay. than a gun line yeah that makes sense it's just hard to hamlin sort of relies on your opponent deciding that you know fighting in hamlin's bubble is how they're winning hmm. and if they decide that they're just going to not engage with you in that way it can be very easy for you to just waste so much AP and, and not getting much out of trying it. to set up kills. Yeah, yeah, because he's a setup crew anyway. So, and you only have so much AP yeah. before the game's over, right? So, if you're spending AP walking and trying to get him to fight with you, and then you're spending the next, uh, you know, you're spending turn three and four getting blight out, you know, doing two damage, and then you're spending five, you know, killing four models. It doesn't matter at that point. Uh, the game's already over. Uh, yeah. You didn't score enough points. <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of how I felt sometimes is so. you definitely need your reps in with Hamlin because there was a lot of games. I played probably about half a dozen and that definitely wasn't even enough because there were still times in my fifth and sixth game where I'm like, okay, I'm doing things, but what is it getting me? So uh, that would be my cautionary tale to people playing Hamlin. 
Yeah, I think uh, GG1 is definitely better for him in that way because you can. There, there are pools where there's no reason to be anywhere on the board other than the middle. So um, Hamlin is definitely good in those pools because you can just occupy and just bog you down. And just be a bog you down. Boy. Yeah. All right, well, cool. Yeah. Let's go ahead and hop into the next keyword, and we'll we'll go into the other split master. Let's go into Tormented. So what does Jack Daw give Outcast? I talked about him with Brandon in Rezzers, but what's something that you're like, I really like him in Outcast for this reason? I love Jack Daw from like a fluff mm-hmm. perspective. Uh, he's just, he's very cool. His story is pretty sick that he was just like on the tree for like, the beginning of Malifaux and then one day he wasn't <laughs> and now he's not just like yeah. doing crazy stuff. Uh, being, being a, a real jerk to everyone, I guess <laughs> just tormenting everyone. I, I don't know. I have some affinity for Hamlin in that re- regard, but uh, it's crazy. We're going through all of the crazy setup crews first because Hamlin, I mean, Jack Tall is another one of those where uh, everything you do mm-hmm. requires setup. So he is uh, the king of security in that way. Because what he's doing, I mean, I don't know how much you want to go into individual abilities, but generally what he's doing is he's setting up staggered and he's using staggered to basically guarantee you're discarding cards and guaranteeing he's hitting for min four and guaranteeing executes in certain situations, uh, all which require a lot of AP investment and it requires like the enemy models to be in certain positions where he can, you know, do on their heel triggers to get to them. And that can be a strategy that absolutely decimates your opponent. Yeah, but like you said, there's there's a ton of setup there where you're kind of really showing where you're going to lean on the turn. And when when they start putting out the like, upgrades on certain models and you see Jackdaw kind of like lining up, you're like, okay, he's coming in and it's going to be right here. Yeah, basically Jackdaw can, he can set it up to where on turn three, he gets yeah. to kill whatever he wants and that you don't really get to do anything about it that whatever he decides to kill is dead uh so in that way he is like whatever i knew you know it's very secure but he he sort of struggles uh i think from that point uh parlaying small attritional advantages into wins because when you get down to it his whole crew is kind of slow except for their ability to leap to enemy models so if you get in a position like you wouldn't really take him into symbols of authority because once you get the kills in the middle or something like that, then you have to still walk to the markers where the enemy models really shouldn't be. And you have to flip them over. That being said, midnight stalker makes it where you can kind of play whatever crew you want into symbols of authority and and outcast. But uh, that's beside the point for, for every battle report that I see with Jack Daw, and this is on either outcast or resers, I mean, I notice a lot of low scores usually with those games. They're not usually giving a lot, but they're also sometimes not getting a lot either. That's that's spot on. And even even though like the games are usually low scoring, he like um, he's kind of like a win big, lose yeah. big master anyway. Like either you get that tormented train rolling, and your opponent is in just hating Mal, just hating Malifo, asking like, why they played the game. Yeah, yeah, they'll be like, "Oh wait, uh, 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 I have don't a care. defense trigger." Like, no, nah, no, nah, sorry, you, you don't. You're you don't actually, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, wait, wait, I can, I can, uh, I can stone. Yeah, sure. Yeah, stone off, uh, stone off some damage so that I can execute <laughs> you later. <laughs> like, it's, it's a really damned if you do, damned if you don't sort of situation play style, and 
it can be crappy to play and crappy to play against, I guess, because, you know, it's uh, winning big is great. Losing big is it's not. I was going to say, <laughs> if, you, if you want to uh, get people to not play Malifo ever again, play a new player with Jack Dawn. They'll have so much unfun that they will not play the game anymore. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> He's definitely no fun to play. Some against. big things with Jack Daw, though. Obviously, people love bringing Monstressor. You got to bring Hanged when you uh, you play Jack Daw because they put out Staggered uh, from range, which is what Jack Daw is going to put Staggered on stuff. That's just what he needs to really start murdering and and setting you up. Yeah, I I, I guess my contribution to that sort of discussion is I've spent so much time with Daw just trying to not play him. That way, trying to not bring two hands, do something trying else, to like pl- lean on some minions, lean on some maybe some out of keyword. Because like when you look at Doll, uh, you think okay, stagger stuff. He has terrifying aura. He has a card draw. That kind of reads yeah. like control, right? Like you think, oh, I, if I could position away from you know three models, I'll stagger three of them, and then keep all of my models out of threat range. My opponent <laughs> can do nothing. Yay! Uh, that uh, shit just doesn't work. I mean, like. It's it's okay, but then the, you still have the same problem you have with Daw is like after you deny them, uh, then what? Like you've denied them a bunch of points, but yep. how did you score your points? So if, I think Daw is just sort of like a, a like an absolute face mask uh, like master. He just he just he just goes in hard, goes in heavy with the double hanged with Montresor falling up and can just dumpster two models on turn three. And then just ride that to victory. <laughs> that that's the game plan when you bring him, anyways. Yeah, I think so. All right, well, cool. And um, I don't know. I think Daw's weakness is probably stuff with higher willpower, things that can, you know, get around a lot of the terrifying stuff that uh, doesn't care about his willpower duels because he's going to, you know, just they're going to pass it. And I think that's where a lot of his weakness kind of plays in. You definitely don't want to see ruthless models. Yeah. Uh, it can make it hard to declare Daw into certain factions that have easy access to Ruthless, like Bayou, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even though, I don't know. I don't know if that's that a reason to not declare Daw. I've, I've had this conversation with uh, Mike and NC, who plays a lot of Daw. And uh, I think I think if they're spinning their stones on those upgrades that you can kind of play out of that situation, I don't think it's that bad that you don't declare into Bayou. Well, um, I think that... Jack Daw is one of those masters where if if you just play the crap out of Jack Daw, you can get comfortable enough where you almost can play him in any situation and you'll probably be okay. Uh, yeah. So I, I just think he's one of those masters where you can get reps in and you're going to give people headaches no matter what. Yeah, I do. I do. I do, do believe that like in specifically talking about the Bayou matchup where you're here, I mean, like uh, I, I don't think the upgrade is as big of a problem as probably just hoping they don't declare summer is a problem because with doll if you don't if you don't get to summer like immediately and yeah you're ignoring his defensive trigger no one is less suited to kill summons than doll i feel like even though they have the upgrade on them and sometimes you can you know that lets hang hit easy min three you do not want to be spending your very valuable very secure very hard hitting ap punching summons yeah like it's like, good Chaff job, you killed a bayou the gremlin, problem. and now I'm going to shoot you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Daw is definitely a, a cool master. He's one of the reasons I really got into uh, Outcast, and 
you know, he might be a reason. Maybe one of these days I, I play a little resers. We don't know, but you hate the dirty resers. That's how it works, man. <laughs> that's why they, that's why they built in like a perfect circle that. Oh, it's like, great. It's okay, fantastic. Now- I have Zip, that leads to Bayou. Okay, now I have Zoraida, that leads to Neverborn. Okay, now I have Marcus, that leads to Arcan. Yep. <laughs> Keeps going around. No, it's beautiful. And I mean, I I played a lot of different games where I bounce from faction to faction. And it's just I just enjoy it a lot. It helps me learn the other factions better. Um, mm-hmm. I did the same thing when I played a lot of Hordes and War Machine. Um, and same thing with this game. So um, definitely a cool function. Yeah, this is surprisingly the game that I've stuck to one faction more than any other game. Uh, in War Machine, I'm de- I have I I'm looking at my <laughs> shelf right now. I have like eight factions nice. on my shelf. Uh, I have too much War Machine because yeah, I I hopped all over the place. Same with 40k. Same with Guild. Well, less so with Guild Ball, but yeah. So I don't know. I think the fact that they're the keywords sort of make it so it's a little sub factiony. So yes. you can kind of within one faction easier that being said i'm probably going to drop like too much money picking up that mayfang box nice. and maybe i'll buy some yoku i don't know I, maybe i'll get some my buddy peppers. scott plays the, the crap target. out of yoku and i it's so annoying so annoying yeah yeah she is she's a pain in the butt all right so let's talk now about the big boogeyman okay i think think you know who i'm talking about with levy sure So this is one of the reasons I actually bounced out of Outcast because there were a lot of games where I was playing and I'm just like, why would I not play Leviticus here? So let's talk about the amalgam kind of keyword and just what they do that is so well that people need to be on the lookout for. Yeah. So yeah, you're not wrong. Levy is, is the savior of the faction. He's, he's insanely strong. Um, and he is very well situated within the meta, I would say, uh, because he's he's a perfect counter to a lot of like archetypes of lists. I'm speaking of his his irreducible damage. Yeah. So like he as himself has a gun and a melee attack that's irreducible. Uh, the melee attack is really where you're getting the most uh, juice for your squeeze because you're hit you're hitting four five six irreducible. Well, and it's uh, just which, there, right? You don't even have to trigger it. Yeah, yeah, it's just built in. Um, which is just free money. And uh, my co-host on uh, my pod is, he he plays like a lot of card games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And as soon as he read Levy, he's like, oh, I bet this guy's broken. I'm like, why? Is it because he has a, he has health as a resource. Like health as a resource in every game is busted. Like, <laughs> he's like, every card game health as a resource is too strong. Uh, that's fair. Like, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, that's that's also what Levy does is he uses health to sort of do extra damage, do some uh, do some other things. Look and at his cards. Because, <laughs> yeah, look at cards, all that great stuff. So, <laughs> I mean, so Levy is just like I completely agree with you that he is he is he definitely dominates a lot of GG one pools, and you really have to think about you know why would I not bring Levy? Yeah, here? I think it's. It's kind of interesting, though, because he has one insanely obvious weakness, which is uh, the demise effect. Yep. So if you're unfamiliar, when Levy dies, he places base to base with one of his waifs, and he heals eight eight points. And then the waif dies, and the waif's insignificant. So every time you kill a Levy, you're getting literally nothing out of it, because it's he places over there, and the only thing that dies is the waif. So you don't get to score off of killing him, any of that stuff. Yeah, his keyword um, is fantastic into public enemies. Yeah. Uh, that, it also has ashes and dust, which is exceptional into public enemies and also has a demise effect. 
Uh, Desolation Engine is, is is pretty decent in the public. Also has a demise effect that denies you points. He's, I mean, he, he's the king of like forcing negative traits. Yep. Because every time you go into him, his whole keyword has like a defense trigger to make you take a point of irreducible. Most of his keyword has an ability that if you activate within four of him, you take a point of damage. That's not irreducible though. Uh, yeah, that, pro yeah, that's just one damage. And so every time you're coming in, you're taking some degree of damage. And then whenever he hits you back, it's very painful. Yeah, yeah. And he has Rusty, who has a gun that most people would take in every other faction. She was like the one I was talking about where she's sort of faction defining and that she has a min three gun. Yeah, she's got a she's got a three, four, five with an execute on it. And yeah, she's a henchman. So it gets pretty dirty and she can do that three times. Yeah. <laughs> four if she's fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's uh, fair. She's. She's a jerk. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad she lost her thing arm. That, Damn girl. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Levy, Levy's, I mean, Levy has a very awesome story as well. Oh, I yeah. Mean, he's, he's, Rusty's kind of like his paramour ish sort of chick. I don't, I don't know what the relationship is. It's almost is like anymore. this twisted, like, ward and, like, you know, kind of like she's his ward almost and she just does things for him. It, it's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know if it's ever, like, overtly sexual or something but it's like i don't know i feel i feel like it's like rub my feet kind of like creepy you know what i mean it's almost like the judge and joanna and uh sweeney todd oh gosh (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i don't know i I really like levy for his keywords pretty cool and he's just sort of i like that he's sort of discovered like infinite life but it's it's never perfect for him because he's he wants to be placed in like these these beautiful wave bodies, but every time, as soon as he he replaces one of them, he immediately decays back into his old like gross state. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's good. But in talking about like his power level, the other thing you like can't not talk about is the necropunks, because like I yes. said, um, outcasts do not have cheap scheme runners except for Levy. Who with the necropunks into the most uh, OP faction in the game? <clears throat> and he stole one of their insane scheme runners. You know, one of their like eight. And uh, he he's like, okay, we can hold we can hold on to some good scheme runners. Uh, so let's do that. And uh, that's why, even though he got nerfs going into GG one, he's still such a strong pick into mini pools because of the necropunk. Because a lot of the GG1 pools require you to like name a minion or, you know, hidden martyrs, you know, catch and release, stuff like that. And these guys are perfect minions for those types of situations. Oh, yeah. They're, they're disgusting. They, once again, they, they have ridiculous threat range. I can't remember. Do they have leap on them or is that something else? It's they have? suited too. And it's like a yeah. six. It's a suited six. They're just, they're just really good. And it's like, oh, well, you would think that Levy's weakness would be that they can't scheme as well. And then you get the Necropunks. Yeah, and they have armor and hard wound, which is like stacking defense buffs are good just on a surface level because more more buffs, more good, obviously. Mm-hmm. But uh, armor and hard to wound definitely stack well because with armor, you want them hitting min damage every time and hard to wound sort of guarantees that. So I think you started working down this, Cody, but what are some of the weaknesses, if any, to Levy? I think you're kind of starting to go there with the demise abilities. Definitely demise. So first of all, like Yon Lo is like the worst matchup in the game for him because (laughs) he has Manos. He has Super Manos where he can give out his upgrade to like Yon Lo himself or some other guy who's going to be a pain in the butt to remove. 
uh, with the reliquary. Um, so Yon Lo is a, is a problem. Rezzers in general is kind of a problem because they can bring Manos out of keyword. And in GG1, when you kill Manos, like I didn't think that Rezzers was a bad matchup for Levy in GG0 because Manos had a different busted reliquary that was busted for everyone but Levy. Yeah. <laughs> but now, uh, in, now when you kill Manos, the reliquary just goes to another model. So you kind of have to be able to kill two models to stop him from just dumpstering your master. Yeah. So that's... So Levy is, is weird because he's in this position where he's countered by like kind of debatably two factions. And the reason he's so strong is because he, he makes other masters cannot declare into outcasts. Yep. Right. So I think he's a very good example of like perfect imbalance within Malifaux uh, in a way that he does have obviously bad matchups, but he also completely counters a lot of the game uh, in a way that I think is fairly interesting. Yeah. Like if, if Levy gets nerfed in the future, I would not want him to lose that position within the meta where he becomes like the obvious counter to like armor two spam or, you know, some like crazy defensive triggers that they decide to throw on some model or something that like yeah. reduce damage because it's irreducible, you know? Yep. He's like he's like a decent counter to like riders in general, you know what I mean. So mm -hmm. I think he ha he's in like a cool uh, meta position that way. And so anything else that really counters him, I know anti demise definitely counters him a bit, but anything else that he just doesn't want to see in general. So anti healing in general does it. The problem is that most of the anti healing effects are like in Levy's keyword, yeah. <laughs> like across the yeah. game. Uh, but like, what is the big spider in Ten Thunder? The Spider Man. Oh, um, I know what you're talking about. The big spear spider boy. Um, yeah. He has a bonus action where he targets a model and that model just can't be healed for the rest of the turn. So like if you stick that on Levy, when his demise goes off, even though he will place base to base with his wave, um, he won't He doesn't heal. heal. Yeah. So he just dies, right? So any anti-healing is good. Also, obeys are pretty strong against Levy in general because a lot Make of Make you models, shoot your own crew. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Make you shoot your own crew, but uh, the beaters, so the Deso and the Ashes and Dust also have that health as a resource uh, sort of system. Mm -hmm. So if you offensively obey them to charge, you know, a waif, for example, uh, and you hit those those triggers, you're not only doing min four to the target you're hitting, but you're doing two damage to the original target of the obey via their own trigger. Nice. So you can do some pretty nifty stuff with obeys in a way that uh, can get around Levy. Um, okay, that's pretty control good. in general is like not bad. That's the thing about Levy and why he's so strong is if you're going to, if your strategy is to go face, you're just going to like run in here and try to kill me. You're going to lose. Yeah, I win. The, I win that game. I win the counter punching game like nine times out of ten with Levy. You have to figure out a different path to victory, and it's out there. You know, it just usually involves like not running straight at my face. <laughs> yeah. If you, if you run into him, you're just, you're done. It's just game over. Yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and switch gears and let's talk about your boy. Let's talk about some Parker Barrows. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so what, what is this bandit crew really doing and what, why are they so annoying to Jeremy and the gang up in North Carolina? 
Yeah, so Parker is the most efficient on that second sort of a, a gradient I talked about. Parker is the most efficient master in Outcast. So by that, it means he usually has the least amount of security, and I'll explain why. Uh, a lot of his attacks are on plus flips. They're low stat, um, but you're getting like, and you're only doing like min two. Uh, you're doing like a lot of plank damage throughout the whole crew. But throughout that whole process, the most defining feature of Parker is that he has uh, draw their attention, which is if he damages a model, he can discard a card to have any model in LOS. LOS is important. Take an interact action. So not only is your action just doing something, doing damage, but you're also just getting a free interact anywhere on the board that you can see. And if that interact involves dropping a scheme marker, pretty much like all of the good models in the crew have an ability to eat a scheme marker at the beginning of their activation to get fast. Oh yeah. So it's this um, trickle down effect that every single you know bit of damage that Parker does is an interact, and every interact is a fast, and every fast is an extra bit of damage, and every bit of damage you know can also have a drop it trigger to get another scheme marker out. So you can yep. use that scheme marker in the future to give another model fast, or you can use that scheme marker in the future to have Parker eat it to gain a soul stall. So it's this huge cascading effect where one effect can turn into like eight different ones, and that's why he's like insanely efficient. Yeah, and most of his his keyword abilities run and gun. So even if you're just moving up the board, you have the ability to charge and shoot your gun. So it's just really he's almost like the the epitome of just efficiency really with everything he does. Definitely. That's the problem with like a gun line in general. Like you'll get a soul stone advantage in attrition playing a gun line. Um but you'll be standing in a place that's irrelevant mm -hmm. usually that's usually the counterbalancing effect of gun gun line you have to like do a mental math it's like how many soul stones do i have to kill to justify standing in my deployment zone well and there's always that yeah. moment you have to reposition i mean you can't just you can't stay there in malifo there's always a time where it's like okay i need to move now yeah and that's why the parker's perfect because you get to move while you're doing all mm -hmm. your shooting yep and that's why i think he's the the easiest master in the game and if if people are getting into malifa i would say play parker first and you if you don't care about what faction or whatever just because he teaches you the fundamentals of malifa so so effortlessly because pretty much everyone who comes into malifa the first like problem they have is you just keep attacking right <laughs> You don't find you. You never realize the point where you should have stopped attacking. You should have scored points, or you know, you 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 basically had the blinders on, right? Oh yeah, you saw red. Parker, uh, not only do you get to just keep attacking, you also get to move wherever you want, and you also get some efficiency out of it. You get extra actions, which means you can make you could screw up more. <laughs> yes, you know what I mean. If you like, a lot of times. Uh, when you're new to the game, when you're a vet, it, it, a lot of the reasons you lose is because you are two walks away from a place you needed to be instead of one walk. Yep. You know what I mean? And so on turn five, you were six inches away when you needed to be five inches away. So with Parker, that extra action means you're in range, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and the fact that you have a running gun means that you're in the position you needed to be in, even though uh, you were shooting your gun and you were still having fun doing damage. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. 
So what what are one or two models in Parker's crew where you're like, okay, I usually always bring these models, and I, I think I know one of them. <laughs> yeah, I pretty much always bring Sue and Mad Dog. Yeah, those are those are my bottom beaches. Uh, so Mad Dog is pretty exceptional. He has that ability to eat a ski marker and go fast, and he has a min three gun with a built in trigger to ignore armor. So that's like insane. <laughs> yeah, <he's laughs> most. Good. Most factions would take that model if they had ability to put ski markers out. So he's just great. He's a little expensive at 10 stones, and he's one of the few models in the crew that doesn't have a plus flip. Uh, so if you are running into a lot of negatives or like a lot of concealment or something, I guess uh, it's fine to leave him at home, but I don't think I've ever played a Parker game without him. Um yeah, so, and he has things like blow it to hell, which is just good to get rid of some of those uh, some of those markers that are going to be really in the way for you. Yeah, and it uh, removes cover, so you're more likely to hit your shots. Yep. Um, it's pretty great. And then I always bring Sue just because he has a built-in ram and crit strike, so he's also a min three uh, with his gun based off the crit strike trigger, and yep. he's range twelve with it. Has the built-in plus flip. It's only stat five, but so stat five is stat five with a plus is kind of like the stat line for this crew. And that is kind of the sort of efficiency stat line, right? Yeah. Because having a high stat isn't that great unless you have cards to cheat for it. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, because, you know, unless you're, unless you have the cards to devote, having the plus two on a stat or plus one on a stat, isn't that important because there's so much variance in the cards you might flip. But when you have a plus flip, you're more likely to hit a high card, even though the math is kind of like the the law of average, you know, the average math is like plus like one seven five or something on a plus flip or something. Yeah. Uh, but it just like it gives you much more upside potential. Like you have you have more chances to sort of explode. And that is like where efficiency comes from, in my opinion, mm-hmm. is that like like occasionally Mad Dog has 26 damage activations. Just like, he just does it. Yeah, It happens more than you would think. <laughs> like, because you're taking so many shots, you know, you have plus flips everywhere. You're you're going to hit Red Joker on damage Yeah, you, you're, you're just going, I mean, I've played him a handful of times and you're just going through your deck. I mean, you're, you're just so much shots and so many things are, you know, just resolving. It's, it's, you just cannot get those cards at some point during your turn. Yeah, you're going to hit black somewhere. That's okay. That was one of 24 shots this turn. Yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> you're going to get hit red on damage this turn. That's way better than hitting black earlier because, oh, yeah. you know, that's that explodes way more than black explodes. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I, I love Parker for that that potential to just sort of like, you can just deck somebody. <laughs> uh, and he is one of those masters where I... I Pretty much before I got out of uh, Outcast, I was just starting to dabble with second masters, and he was a fantastic second master. He really is. Yeah, that if you need interacts, he brings interacts. It's just if you need to deny interacts, he also denies interacts. Yep. It's pretty great. He's he's like he's never usually worth like sixteen stones, but you have so much like opportunity cost involved with that with them being unable to put markers in certain places because you can just eat them so easily yeah and 
he can he can usually make up one or two stones, so maybe you can consider him fourteen. Um, and you're getting all those extra interacts. So, yeah, well, I think he's- let me ask you this, this then, Cody. Where where do you not want to see him? So, where is a either a scenario or what is a matchup where you're just like, this is not good for Parker. <laughs> So the I mean he's he's a generalist in in sort of every sense of the word. Like he he doesn't really have too many awful matchups, but he doesn't really crush a lot of matchups. Yeah. Because he really is like most of the damage is men too. You know, you got you got you got some in three here and there, but he himself is doing men two uh, most of the time. And whatever you round out the rest of the list is uh, uh, less with is probably doing men too. Uh, and you can just sort of flip bad. <laughs> I mean, that's honestly his biggest weakness is like, you just, you just, you just didn't flip. Well, I, I know that sounds like sort of a cop out, but he kind of lives and dies by that sort of luck factor, which I think is in a way sort of thematic because he's, you know, planning these heists and you had to get lucky. Yeah. I, guess. I kind of, uh, um, I kind of felt that way when I was playing Ulix in uh bayou where i just had so many pig attacks that it was like some of these are going to fail and some of them are going to crush your face and we just got to hope that we flip good enough on the crush your face ones yeah and um because he does sort of have these trickle down effects of his ap you can definitely i would say almost every parker game i've had there was one parker activation that he did almost nothing (laughs) Like either he's hitting something that has a armor and he does like one damage, you yeah. know, cause he's still, he's still stat five on his gun. It goes up to seven with markers, but he's still stat five. And then sometimes you can just flip crappy. And then sometimes that plus flip just got you a black joker and you did nothing. <laughs> um, and that trickles down, right? You don't have the fast over here. You don't have the interact over there that you're relying yeah. on. And that, it, that is sort of just, you know, you know, live and die by that sword. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think there's a matchup in the game that I would not, that I would think I couldn't win. Um, I mean, that's good because that means he's pretty flexible in a lot of the matchups you can bring him in. Yeah, I think you could play your way out of any game with him. A lot of people would say maybe certain Arcanist crews because they do have um, Access to the Captain and Snowstorm, which both have the aura where you take two less damage from, uh, where they take two less damage from gun attacks. So that could be a problem, but he still, in melee, his gun becomes a melee action, so that goes around it. Uh, So you can kind of play out of it. It's not great, but it's playable. But... um, I also wouldn't take Parker in like round one of a lot of tournaments, if that makes sense, because I can just lose off of flips when I'm playing him. And like, hmm. I would expect to win round one. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but I would, I would definitely take Parker in round five of a tournament because I got to get lucky somewhere. If I'm going to beat another person who's, you know, won four games in a row. That's an interesting mindset with that. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in the, it, it actually, I think it depends on your viewpoint of it because sometimes in those earlier rounds, especially if you're, once you're approaching kind of higher skill levels, a lot of times those earlier rounds, you're up against opponents who maybe don't have as many games as you, or maybe they're not as experienced. And so there, it's an easier win for you. 
And then you're saying like when you get to the harder matchups, you kind of like the wild card to try and, you know, maybe sometimes just, I don't want to say luck into a win, but you know, you're throwing so much at him that eventually you're going to get one. Yeah. Like I don't like those security masters against other very good players because well, it creates, creates these stupid standoffs too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I've definitely played handling games where if it's a good opponent, they'll just like stand over there, you know? <laughs> and they just be like, Oh, oh man. When I, when I played guild ball, I, I hated that so much. I, I'm the kind of guy where I, I do get impatient and I'm like, you want to know what? I didn't come here just to look at you. It's like, I'll throw the first model out there. And if I can bash my way out of it, great. If not, then at least something's happening. That was why I quit Gilball. Gilball was my main game for like two years. Um, yeah. And that was what like made me quit is like, if, if like, uh, I feel like the game was very good when you're, when both of you are not very good. And then once you both get really good, it just becomes a like complete stalemate, right? It's like, yep. okay, I'm not going to do that because if I do that, you'll do this. So we're just going to, you know, we're both going to generate momentum. We're both going to heal our models eight for eight points. And we're, the model's been, uh, the ball's been dead for two turns. Like <laughs> <laughs> I, there was, I specifically remember one like tournament game is like near the end. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> we're on like turn eight or whatever. And I'm just, I'm just going to run over here and try to push you off. And if that doesn't work, you push me off and that'll be it. <laughs> we just, cause this is stupid. We're just going to heal each yeah. other eight, eight, every game, every turn, you know? Yep. And I, I definitely am glad that Malifaux has a lot less of that because it's like, okay, you want to do this stalemate? Well, I'm going to go over here and scheme and get my points that way. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about your... I don't know the the woman who's dead to you. Okay, the, <laughs> the woman who got nerfed into the ground, according to you. So let's start off with before we get into why you don't like what happened to Tara. Let's start with okay, what does Tara do, or what did she do? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So Tara's really she's very cool from a design perspective because yes, what she's doing is she's giving out arguably the best condition in the game to enemy models in in fast in order to get some uh future benefit so at a base level that requires a lot of foresight because if you get mm -hmm. them if you give a model fast and they get to use it you it's bad probably <laughs> lost the game <laughs> like you can maybe do that once you can maybe give one model fast and let them use it once but if you do it twice you probably lost um just based off of how that works and so by giving enemy models fast uh, she does like a few cool things. First of all, it lets her get her summons out because they come out buried and basically anything in the crew can remove fast off of any model to unbury base to base with it. Yep. So that's at the base level. That's what you're doing is, um, pretty much everything in the crew can either give an enemy model fast, or they can use that same action to bury a friendly model that has that rule. And you can, sort of reposition within the field uh, however you want, you know, like if you can bury your left flank and then completely unbury on the right side, you can swing, you can swing the battle completely. I mean, it's like an unparalleled sort of uh, amount of mobility that exists within the game. Yeah. And for newer players, buries exactly what it sounds like. Your model actually gets taken off the table and they don't come back on until they meet that unbury trigger, right? 
Yeah, uh, and if you're a new player looking to start playing Terra, read the section on buried models like five times <laughs> because it's kind of tricky. Everything you can and can't do. Um, basically, models can't do anything while they're buried unless it specifically says that they can. And mm -hmm. uh, the ones that have that certain things, like sometimes, uh, like the Scion can attack while buried, but she takes damage. Uh, while other models, you know, kind of don't sort of. It's I don't know. It's uh, read buried a bunch <laughs> i guess is what i'll say because it's a tricky little a lot uh, going on it's kind of removed from play but not exactly you know yeah it, it's like the card game sort of vernacular i guess from that point uh you would say like okay well that sounds pretty decent but then like what is, what is she doing with that with all sort the burying, of yeah. reposition um she has a, a trigger that exists pretty much throughout the whole crew which is uh, after I succeed, you take a target 14 willpower door, be buried. And because she buried you when you unbury at the beginning of your activation, which is what the, uh, the trigger says at the beginning of your activation, I place you within an inch of one of your models. So not only is she repositioning her force, if you fail that willpower duel, uh, next time you activate, I could put you anywhere where your other models are. And that could completely ruin plans. If you were reliant on X model being on X side of the board, and then you fail that willpower duel, and I know it's important to be there, he'll be on the complete opposite end of the board. Yep. So I guess the the problem with all of that stuff, I guess, is that while you're be doing all this decent, like sort of uh, denial potential, uh, you still have to score your points. And she herself is really good at that because when she's the leader, she gets a second activation. Um, so that's insane. Just yeah. like on a, on a core level, like that's insane. That's really strong. Yeah. She um, just gets slow on the second one, right? Yeah. She gets slow. So technically she basically gets five AP a turn spread across two activations. She gets two bonus actions, but uh, your bonus action is just to give out fast or bury, right? Yep. So um, the problem with this sort of mechanic is it requires activation control. Because if you give a model fast, it can immediately just activate and use that fast, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because you require your model to activate to unbury base to base with it. Um, so the crew has Aonis, which is a model that has an ability to get out pass tokens. And in GG1, they basically made um, that ability to create pass tokens so that you can get activation control so you can do your shtick. Uh, pretty much unfeasible. Um, so resource intensive that it's like basically not worth it um, in order to do all your repositioning tricks. So I will say that I like Terra, I guess, as she, at like a sort of a conceptual level. And she was the closest thing we had to a control master in GG0. Yeah. With her ability to not only have activation control, but also position her models outside of your charge ranges and move your models where they're not going to be within combat range. But all of that is sort of built on a, all of those control elements are built on a, a sort of house of cards, uh, rely on activation control. And when it's so resource intensive that uh, you have a have a seven and a stone basically uh, to do your main shtick, I find it's basically not even worth doing because it was already requiring a lot of foresight 
and requiring a lot of a lot of cards, a lot of resources, a lot of stones, because summoners are really relying on that stuff anyway. And then yeah, you and you're you're referring like specifically that. to like Aonis's nerf on a sever timeline, right? Yeah. So it used to just have a no TN built-in trigger, generate two pass tokens, which was a tax on the crew for you to be able to do all that control stuff. Is that you, you had, had to, to bring them? You had, you had to bring a ten stone model who's going to do not much other than that. You know, he can pitch in later, but most of the time he's just doing that. Yeah. And then now when you make that so expensive, it's just like not even worth it's you're, you were building an incredible, like a, a house of cards in the past. And if any part of that fell down, the whole thing collapsed. Yeah. If at any point, like Aonis got stunned and Karina got killed, everything that was buried is going to die. Like you, you're, you're not going to be able to get it back out. Hmm. Uh, and, or, or, or even if Terra or Aonis died before turn five, then your ability to score your points is almost none. Like, uh, you, 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 if you lost a cog in that machine, you were pretty much screwed. Uh, okay. and now, the, now the machine is just, there's just gum in the machine. So it's not working. <laughs> okay. Uh, that being said, she still has a position because having, having five AP is good, right? Oh yeah. And she has a leap. It's not leap. It's called sever or something or whatever. Uh, uh, I think it's, is it time slip? Yeah. Yeah. Time slip, something like that. Um, so she has herself as a really good like scheme runner, but I don't know. Outside of that, it doesn't do the crew doesn't do a lot uh, other than punch you for like men two everywhere. Yeah. And when I when I was playing that faction, the, the models are really cool in that crew because you have Terra herself and you also have Talos is a really cool model. And then you have uh, what is the big uh, the nothing beast is really cool, too. So mm -hmm. they have some really cool models in that crew. Yeah, I like Talos and I like uh, Scion a lot. Um, I'm not a big fan of the, the nut, the actual void creatures. I don't know. They sat in my like bits box for like a year. <laughs> I was like, I couldn't figure out what to paint them. And yeah, the I just void wretches look a little weird. They're, they're kind of like these weird mouths with tiny feet. I don't know how else to explain them. That's I mean, that's it. Yeah. Uh, they're div I mean, I feel like the best void paint jobs I've seen. It's there's either just no effort or insane amounts of effort put in. Those are the only ones that look good. Everything in between looks like crap. Yeah. <laughs> Something that actually I did that looked pretty decent was if you if you just take like either a blue or a green contrast paint and just yeah. put that on them and then just phase it up to look like almost like a spirit, that's probably the best thing I think you can do with a lot of those models. Yeah, I feel like, yeah, it's just a, like a coat of contrast is will look better than like, most things you can do with those models, which is interesting, I guess. I don't know. I, 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 my void wretches probably have like 10 paints of coat on them uh, <laughs> underneath what they ended up with, which was just like some airbrush and that's it. Airbrush and like picked out a little detail. Well, Cody, I got to ask you, do you, do you feel better getting this off your chest about Terra? <laughs> oh, I, I mean, uh, I, I talk about the, I mean, I complain about her all the time. <laughs> that's fair. Uh, yeah, I talk about Terra a bunch. I mean, I don't. So that's what I'll say is like the problem with her. But but the problem with her really is that she exists within the rest of the faction. So it's still good to have. So the point I was making is it's still good to have five AP. It's still good to have the leaps. Um, Nothing Beast is still pretty good. Um, 
the berry trigger is still pretty good. And the problem is it exists in a faction with other sort of schemier, like more efficient masters who aren't reliant on a bunch of combo and a bunch of setup to do what they need to do. Yeah. So it, like, it you got less dirtling you have to do to get there. Yeah. I feel like zip is like one of her worst matchups and was in GG zero. And now, like she exists in the same faction with him. So like they do so much that's similar. I don't basically I'm looking I'm so I'm looking at my table right now because I play against myself a lot. Cause it's basically like I do, um, I don't know. It's kind of like a, like chess players do like puzzles. I basically like set up shit and like play like the first two turns. Yeah. And I got, I got zip versus Tara on my table right now. And I think I finally found like a position where she exists in GG one, but I basically had to write a pool specifically for her <laughs> to find a position where she is slightly better than zip in this pool. Like it has to have these, it has to be these exact schemes. Otherwise you're like. just like, I'm just going to bring zip. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, let's go ahead and hop into our next keyword. we got two more to go. So we got the Vix up with the Mercenary crew. And I tell you what, the Vix are pretty cool, man. They they, they scoot around the board. They can put out some decent damage. I don't know uh, how much you like playing them in GG1, but th they seem like a pretty good time to me. Yeah, I played the shit out of Vix um, since I moved to Florida, actually. They probably played them a little more than anything else in F Florida, I guess. But... I really liked them in GG1. Um, they were probably like, they were near the bottom for me in GG0, but the strats and schemes have changed it up where I really like them. Yeah. Um, but so the Vix, I guess in general are, they're like super, they're very efficient. And I, it's weird. They're actually like a schemey crew in my mind uh, in this edition, because what they have is like insane mobility and more than that, they have some of the best target selection in the game. Mm -hmm. they, have, they have a good gun, uh, kind of. Uh, it's like a two four five. Is that what get plus They're not. Well, just the Vix themselves. They have a two oh, four five, do, and it's gets a plus flip if they're not within six of each other. So they have a gun that's like decent target selection. But then they also have their sword, right? Which is stat seven and like can murder any sort of squishy thing that gets out of, you know, wanders away from the herd. <laughs> so yeah. I think that is sort of their role within the faction is they have such superior target selection that they can pick out. They can pick out all the little pieces that were super important to uh, the machine of your opponent. And, they're and not they just good. kill what you love. Yeah. Yeah. They're not good at running in to your face. Like if they do that, they lose a lot because they're not that durable. They have only eight health. When one of them dies, you know, you get the demise trigger. It's just all right, but you're losing a lot for, um, you know, for only eight points of damage. Yeah. And, and those people that don't know, the Vicks are really cool because they actually have uh, two masters. Uh, Victoria basically has a doppelganger that basically posed as her when she came to Malifaux. And yeah, they, they basically, I guess, became besties and they follow each other around now. Yeah, I think uh, she's incapable of turning back into a doppelganger now or something. Yeah. She's just like permanently a Vic. And um, going into this edition, they used to have a named sword that I'm not going to name because I'll butcher it and some nerd will get mad at me. <laughs> uh, so in second edition, they were they had this crazy sword that was 
um, very good at like in second edition, they were absolute cannonballs. Like you would, they would kill whatever's in front of them. And by, you would hope they would kill enough by the time they die that you would win. Now that they've, it's, it's kind of fitting that they've lost that sword because they're not able to do that so much anymore. Yeah. They're very good at dancing on the edges of combat. They're move six. And well, let me just, so the coolest thing about them is battle driven, which is their keyword ability. Yeah. The battle, that, battle tempo. Uh, battle tempo. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that lets all of the models that have it within the keyword to push two inches at the start phase, yep. which is after determining initiative that has so much potential on the table. It's so hard to express in words. You could do yeah, things like good. they're about to kill a model. You push it out, push the other one in, right? You just save that model, at least for another activation. You know, it, it, if you have to push out, drop a ski marker, then charge in all of that stuff. And it just gives so much potential for outplaying your opponent at a positional level. I feel like it's very good crew if you are a great positional player. Like guild ball players would probably do really well with Vix. Because like if you're really good at saying, you know, I'm exactly seven inches from your model. I pushed there in the start phase via my uh, battle driven or what, battle tempo. And, you know, I'm, I move six with a one inch melee. You're not. <laughs> uh, so I mean, you're, you're creating extra inefficiencies in your yep. opponent via those types of abilities. Yeah, that's definitely something that if, if you haven't played Guild Ball, I would say it's a skill that anytime you can get a model that outreaches a model, that's an advantage that you really need to take into consideration and do. Uh, even in this game, if it's just a one inch model going into a, you know, a zero inch model, it, it's just the fact that they can't attack you and they have to waste an action just to move to hit you is definitely a big deal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you're just like halving their damage, yep. whatever, whatever defensive ability is on the front of a card, it's not half damage. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? So it's very good. Uh, I really like the Vix. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really interesting sort of cagey, like um play i think and uh, they also have vanessa who's like insane yeah she is she when she's on the center line she gets stat eight on her gun with a built-in surge trigger it's crazy it has a blast <laughs> like it's it's very good she has intuition when she kills model she heals the vix yeah, and the vix can trigger can shots from her yep oh, so good yep yeah Vix have great triggers. So. Uh, another model that I think hopefully a lot of people are playing is I I was running at least one, if not two of these, but the Ronin are pretty amazing models just to, like you said, just scheme around the board, go get, you know, an easy kill off of other scheme runners or, you know, just, just go do stuff. They're just really awesome models. And if they're about to die, hey, just sacrifice them and get yourself a, a soul stone. I would I would completely agree. I, I think they're some of the best little scheme runners for their ability to... They can kill other scheme runners and they, if a scary model comes hunting for them, they have hard to kill. Yeah. So they usually are able to, you know, uh, tank the alpha, get out, do some schemey stuff and then die sort of in the way that makes that scary model waste the most AP that you can. Oh yeah. Grab. Because I mean, you kill yourself, you get the resources and now hopefully that model is so far out of position that they're done. And B big Jake is another guy you have to mention in the crew just because uh, he, uh, he comes back turn five <laughs> and he can interact and he places next to any friendly model. So 
he always I he, you can throw him out just to do anything, and it's usually worth it because he's coming yes. back. And I, just to, I just want to highlight the target selection like thing, just because it, it's so. It, it, I don't know. I feel like this is one of the crews that plays way different than what they seem on paper uh, because of your ability to just pick things out. Like one of Terra's worst matchups is also Vix because like I said, it's like a machine that requires all these parts. And as soon as the Vix like know that, right, they know what to scapel out. As soon as I guess the player knows what to scapel yep. out, it's done. It's like, okay, if I kill Karina and then I kill Aeonis or Terra, whoever comes closer to me, then it's game over. It's like, okay, yeah, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of crews <laughs> yeah. where if you can kill their the things that are making that engine go, that's really going to dismantle what they can do on the table. I, I had a, a newer player that I was playing with um, – with my Sui keyword. And he's just like, dude, this is like the most broken shit like I've ever seen. And I just, I told him like, you got to kill, you know, Penelope, you got to get major out of position. You got to, you know, move these key models out of the way or kill them. And once I explained it to him and how you can dismantle the machine, then it kind of lit up for him. Like, okay, it's not as broken. I just can't go running into it. There are a lot of keywords like that, that once you know the, the Lynch point, you, you can, definitely exploit it oh yeah you take that pin out and then that crew's just they're done and one thing i, I will say and it's revisiting a very old topic at this point but for parker kill the doc immediately <laughs> <laughs> like the doc is like he's not important for the engine but he's just like he's so good at healing and he has arcane reservoir and he has bedside man yeah you should be removing him as fast as possible. Like he's part of the good Parker. (laughs) (laughs) So going back to him just for a second, I mean, is there a certain model you like to keep doc Mitchell around with uh, Parker? Like, do you keep him buddied up with Parker? Do you just kind of keep him floating around where needed? Yeah. I, uh, I guess whoever is going to be my last activation turn one is usually docs in a position where, if they win initiative and they go into that model, I can do the bedside manner or whatever, uh, discard a card and play some base to base. Mm-hmm. Um, that's usually whoever's he's following. So that's usually Parker or Mad Dog. So going into Mercenary, what's something that do they not like seeing tankier crews? Do they not like seeing gun lines? You kind of said they don't like things that are going to hit them real hard. So, so which one don't they like more? Yeah, tanky is a problem. Um, you don't, if they're tanky and slow, you can deal with it though. They can dance around them. Kind of outplay it. Yeah. If they have some like weird defensive tech that you can't really ignore and they're pretty quick to boot, it can be a a real problem. They can sort of just sort of outpace your killing, I guess. Um, but usually I'm taking Vixen in like a schemier pool. So like what, what I care about in terms of offensive pressure is, is something that can, you know, it, it can outpace me yeah. before I get to get the points done. I want to get done. And the other exploitable thing about them is that they're willpower five. Uh, so they don't like to see terrifying. They don't like to see anything that attacks willpower. Yeah. That kind Obey of masters, uh, things like that. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I don't think there's really anything that's worth obeying on the Vic side. Hmm. Um, Maybe, maybe like just maybe, maybe just obey them, just to move them, like you know, way the hell out of out of anywhere that's relevant. Yeah, 
Okay, well, we got our last crew, man. And this is actually one that I have no experience with. This is the last master that I didn't have. And this is Von Schill in the free core. So there's a lot of robots here. What's, go- what's going on with that? Uh, yeah, Von Schill is pretty sick. Uh, I would say he is the other generalist in the faction. So I think Parker's one. And I think he's the other. Um, but while Parker is efficient, I think he is very secure. Mm-hmm on that little spectrum there. So generally what he's doing is, so he hands out upgrades. That's kind of his shtick is that he uh, can give upgrades to any minion or free core model. Um, But those upgrades, as soon as they use them, they go away. So it's like a one shot weapon, mm -hmm. which can be very cool when you're in a specific uh, situation where you really needed that upgrade. You've correctly assessed that you have to have a leap this turn to score this point. So you're willing to waste a master AP and then like a future seven uh, out of hand to ensure that you get that leap off. Uh, Or it can be really important when you have two severes in hand, this model is in the perfect position, already has focus on it. I'm going to hand it a rocket launcher. It's going to hit double blast. It's going to kill those two models. Take some foresight because Uh, I mean, load up is, uh, it's not a, it's not a free action. So, I mean, you do have to waste one of his APs to, to load somebody up. So that's generally, uh, I guess, like what he does turn one usually um, is load up a bunch of stuff so that he doesn't have to use valuable master AP on the later turns. But I would say, I don't know, I really, he's a pretty thematic crew, which is pretty great. And I think he's one of the, he's better, he's like one of the more well-rounded keywords. Okay. Like you can, you could play him fully in keyword and not have second thoughts, which can't really be said about a lot of the other um, keywords within the faction uh, because he has so many minions at like every price point. They're all pretty decent. He has multiple models from nine to 10 stones that are very good uh, situational or exceptional like Hannah. I don't think I've ever played a Von Schill game without Hannah. She's oh, great. Yeah, she's good. She has Arcane Reservoir, which is... Uh, that's the thing about the Outcast faction entity. We don't have card draw. <laughs> <laughs> There's no card draw anywhere. So anytime you can get Arcane Reservoir or anything like that, that's great. Uh, outside of Jack Dahl, who has who kind of has card draw, I guess you could say. But it's like situational. Yeah, you got to set it up. Kind of his whole mechanic. Yeah. There's no card draw you can put into any uh, you know, Outcast list or anything like that. Uh, so having Arcane Reservoir in Hannah is like super important, especially because he has shouting orders. So uh, that's the thing where free core models within six of him can pitch a card to focus as a bonus. So you want to have discards is a very important resource in this crew, as well as like your moderates, because you have like a decent amount of TNs with, you know, you got some leaps, you got some uh, load ups you want to do stuff like that. And then the, the focused attacks, but, the reason I think he's like a secure master is he has a shouting orders, but he also his two big beaters in Hannah and mm-hmm. Arik, they have damage tracks that really reward hitting severe, especially Hannah. Hannah's like insane because she has the ability, she has crit strike and she has the ability to have models within four take a damage for her to add a suit. And she can get focus from our uh, from shouting orders, things like that. So if you hit all of your rams and hit everything, you can punch, you can literally one shot models. <laughs> I mean, because uh, she's doing what, eight, which eight is, damage on the high end? 
Uh, yeah, I think it's eight and then Red Joker to nine. Yeah. If you have that. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, Red Joker to nine. So yeah, you can one shot stuff if you if you have the focus, you have the two severes, you know, if you have all of that stuff built in, then you can do some crazy secure kills that your opponent can't stop, but all of which required a lot of yep. setup, right? Rx the same way. Um I played Arik against Hoffman a couple of times. And I'm like, oh, this, this might be an interesting matchup until I realized that Arik, he just needs two severes and a stone and he one shots those like armor two cats. <laughs> nice. Uh, which are very, like if, if, if a Hoffman player is bringing those, they're using those to score points. So like every, t- every time I've seen those cats, it's just like, okay, one shot. And then my opponent's like, oh, I guess we should I re-rack. Guess we'll do <laughs> something else. Yeah. <laughs> But I also really like all of the minions in his crew. I'm a big fan of the scouts. If you offered like any faction a scout, they would they would probably take it. <laughs> I mean, he ignores like every defensive tech in the game other than LOS. Uh, he has pursuits, so he can be stat six as a built-in trigger, and then potentially hit crit strike. So, and he's and he's range fourteen like other snipers. And he's six so, points, you know, pretty good. Yeah. He's, he's, he's quite cheap, you know, has all the great sniper stuff while also ignoring everything. <laughs> uh, I guess Bayou and taken because they have Ram. Rammy's my boy. Uh, but I think most other factions would take him. I would say the uh, hardest part of this he, faction, though, just to kind of drop it in here, is that it's pretty impossible to find this crew right now. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> that's the reason I never got a game in, because literally... I could find Von Schill. I couldn't find his totem. Some of these scout or some of the uh, free core models I couldn't find. And I just gave up on it because I was like, you want to know what? We're, we're good. <laughs> yeah, I was looking at the Gen Con cell. I think I know that Hannah and the librarians are coming out and something else for Von Schill, but not his core box. I don't think still. Yeah, I only have Von Schill because... Um, in second edition, everyone bought the Von Schill box because it was the only way to get the scout, which was a mercenary that you could take into other factions. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so like everyone bought that box just for the scout and the librarian. The librarian was also good in like certain crews. Um back when you could back when mercenary meant you could actually take them into other factions. Yeah. Uh, not mercenary the keyword. So I have I have Von Schill in the steam trunk just because someone literally gave them to me. It's like, take this. I don't want it. <laughs> hey, you play Outcast. Here you go. Yeah, it sat in my bit box for like a year. And then I'm like, oh, I guess I'll build it now that thir- third ed is out. But yeah, I had to convert all of my scouts from Gilgard. Um, I had to convert like most of my stuff. Luckily, Gadzooks has like the free corpse man, yeah. like just the free corpse man for like at one point, they were $2 a piece. Yeah, and you could just, <laughs> so I bought just a, kit bash a bunch of those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I bought just like Gilgard, kit bashed him with the Free Corpsman. That makes pretty good sniper, you know. Added one to, gave him a book, you know, put him next to a stack of books. You know, that's my that's my male librarian, like all that stuff. So that's like the only way you can really play that crew right now. Yeah, is there anything with the Free Corps that you're like, I'm, this isn't, they're not great into this. They're, they're just... Because they seem kind of slow. I mean, so, I mean, are you comfortable taking them into any of the scheme stuff or are you just kind of like, nah, they're they're too slow for that? So they are a generalist. And I, I think I have the same problem with them I have with Parker is that I, I feel like they don't have a ton of terrible matchups, 
but they don't have a great one. Destroy a lot. I mean, s- certain things they're really good in. So, so the the unique thing that has to be sort of the reason Bonchil stands out for me and within Outcast is he has uh, a trigger on his melee attack that's pulled. Oh, love it. Where you place the enemy model within five, and then another model gets to yep. shoot it. And he has the ability to put out hazardous terrain, and you can have all these guns, and that repositioning effect is is basically zip like, you know what I mean? And it requires the trigger, but that can that's where he stands out to me in a way that's like unique in the faction. Makes him pretty good at like recover evidence where you really need to move enemy models, stuff like that. Yeah. And so usually I'm when I'm talking about bad matchups for him, I, I don't want to see something where I was relying on pull to like set up my points. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if I can't place models, you know, if lead line cloak, stuff like that, I'm not super happy about that. Um, and then other than that, ignoring armor is bad. So since you're, you're looking at that place ability, I don't know how much of the place ability matters into, um, into corrupted ley lines. I don't know. Does that put a hiccup in any of his plan there? Because you can't uh, place those models that have the lodestone. Yeah. Yeah. Most of his mobility is in giving rocket boots to stuff. So if it has the lodestone, it can't use its rocket boots. Yeah. And then, yeah, if it has the lodestone, you can't place it with pull either. But I think he's pretty decent in that strat though. Um, just, just the that. model that has lodestone. You really got Cause I actually ran into that problem with zip where I was like, oh, I'm just going to throw the lodestone model off of the objective with up we go. And then I was like, oh, I can't, no. I can't place the <laughs> son of a bitch. God. Yeah. I haven't played zip into idle, uh, corrupted ley lines f- just out of fear. So I'd be curious to know if like, like my fear is that eventually the lodestone will end up on zip and that'll lose me the game. Yeah. I, I, I had that happen. I had that happen once, but it was turn five. So it was okay. Like it was the last turn and I was like, okay, this is fine. This is the last point. Okay. Yeah. So you, you didn't even need your defense trigger at that point. No. You just like, yeah, I need to try it, I guess. Um, yeah, it, it was interesting. I actually was, it, I actually had a lot of fun with it and I, I actually ended up winning the game pretty well. So it, it wasn't as, once I learned that I couldn't do the whole place thing I, and zip obviously can't have the lodestone. Otherwise it's just, it's there. But, um, uh, yeah, it turned out really well. I actually wasn't too, too unhappy with it. His mobility just made it really, really good. Yeah. And I guess if you're making it where zip can actually scheme kind of by carrying the lodestone, that's not, that's almost worth him being able to be killed, I guess. (laughs) Maybe, maybe, I don't know. All right. Well, we got all the masters done. We did it. (laughs) Nice. I'm going to ask you the same thing that I ask all the all the uh, all the peoples about this. But first thing that I know a lot of Outcast players say is that they they kind of say the Outcast upgrades are trash. I mean, are you kind of in that same camp? Or yeah, um, they're not great. They, they none of them are like situational, which is where I wish upgrades existed. Honestly, I wish upgrades didn't exist. So I'm fine with them being bad. I think they're. I don't. I don't really. I don't know what they do. Like <laughs> they they fill points. Yeah, yeah. That's I guess that's their role from a design perspective. You don't you don't want ten soul stones? Okay, here's a couple points you're gonna have. Yeah, I just so I don't like upgrades in general, so I don't care that they kind of suck. Uh, okay. But they each one of them has like a position where they're really good. Like 
the hard to kill upgrade on levy is absolutely busted like it's insane <laughs> the and then like i like servant on on hamlin and on jackdaw i would say i brought that one on jackdaw that was pretty yeah, good yeah because neither of them i mean the heel is is good but neither of them want to walk on turn one so any extra yep. move ap you can get on turn one is like insane for those setup crews where you want it, the engine to roll turn one you know and then, but then, like, okay. want a criminal? There's only one place in the whole game I think it works, which is on the Woku Raider. Which is, I feel like that's probably bad. If I, th- I feel like there's only one model <laughs> in the whole faction that can hold it. <laughs> okay. Well, what about we already talked about this a little bit, but if you have a newer player or somebody kind of newly getting into the faction, what are some of the keywords where you're like, okay, these one or two keywords are really good for new players or for new people to the faction? Parker, for sure. Definitely. I'd say Parker, number one with a bullet. Uh, he's easy to play. Easy to, he teaches you Malifa fundamentals. Great. He's fun. Uh, sometimes, I can attest. He was, he was my first master and it was really good. Yeah. You're just having fun, like shooting your gun. Sometimes you look up and you're like, you're like pew, pew, pew. Where, where, where did the models go? The, <laughs> Uh, I thought you had models. Where'd they go? <laughs> I guess they're gone now. Sorry. Uh, I, just, I tell you what, I taught my son how to play Malifo and I gave him Parker to play. And I was just sitting here like, this is, this is fucking miserable. It's like, I know I'm teaching him the game, but you know, when you're just teaching him how to kill stuff, it's like, you're giving him a good crew to kill stuff with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is there another crew where you're like, this is also good for uh, newer players? Um, hmm. Levy is actually really easy to play. You, as long as you dodge his bad matchups, he's he's really easy to play. Uh, so maybe yeah, him, yeah. But also Zip, I'd say is like not that bad. Everything within his crew kind of has a pretty defined role, which is good for learning the game. You're like, okay, you know, first mate, he goes over there and does schemey stuff. Mancha, he punches face. Zip, he either sets up Mancha or goes annoy. You know, like because everything has a clear role, I would say it's like kind of easy to learn. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. And the last thing I kind of want to talk about before we head on up out of here is looking at Outcasts. You've played a lot of a lot of big tournaments with the Outcasts. Do you think that they are in a pretty good spot competitive wise right now? Do you feel like they can hold up with some of the stronger things in the game? Uh, what what's kind of your analysis on that? Yeah, I think I think they're good. Um, I think they were the best faction in the game. Mm-hmm tied with 10 thunders in gg zero now i think they're at least in the top four i think that i think that top tier is pretty it's pretty tight honestly the the game's really i think it's pretty well balanced i don't think there's i think even guild is 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 fine now like i don't know yeah it's really tough and that's one thing i've found with kind of ranking malifo it's really tough to really put them in tiers right because the masters are so different and you also have to take into account uh the pools and the skill level of the player and how much they have reps with that master and crew uh so it's really tough to place them but if you had to kind of let's just kind of do it this way then what are probably three masters where you're like if i'm going to a tournament these are kind of like my three rider dies where i'm like these are the three i'm running for gg1 um, Levy Parker X, uh, X can be anything. <laughs> really. uh, X is just wherever the pool kind of fits in. Yeah. Probably either zip or Vix, maybe Von Schill. If I'm feeling squirrely, I don't know. 
Okay. Maybe Hamlin if I'm feeling squirrely. Mm. <laughs> if you're feeling squirrelier, you know, kind of just put some rats on the table. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's really like, it's like a, if not a, then B, if not B, then C. And so like, it's kind of, it's kind of, uh, it doesn't, I don't know. It trickles down really easy. I think, I think maybe what is a more interesting question is like, um, do you think outcasts are like fun to pay, play competitively? Because it sounds like that was the reason that turned you off from them. That is exactly the reason. Cause I, I am a pretty competitive guy. I was really competitive with guild ball. I didn't quite get to the higher tournaments in war machine. I did a bunch of bigger local kind of Southeastern tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, Big in War Warhammer. I played a lot of big national tournaments for that. So I I am a big competitive player, um, and that was the thing is I just kind of made my analysis, and I like being I I, I kind of go in this scope. So I, I like your scope where you were talking about kind of are they more um, efficient versus you know kind of safe or you know kind of whichever way you want to go with it. But the way I like to kind of just be is I kind of like being wide in my selections meaning I like the ability to be comfortable enough with any of the keywords that I could drop it and do pretty well with it into any matchup that I chose. And that's kind of how I play my game. I'm not narrow. Like there's a lot of people where they're like, oh, I'm going to single or I'm going to bring two masters. and I'm just going to be really good with these two and I'm going to dedicate to those two. That's not the way I play. I like going wide. That way I can op- have my choices open to whatever scenarios pop up in uh, competitive play. Interesting. W- would you consider yourself like a like an intuitive player? Yes, because <laughs> I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I think you kind of just started listening to us, but this is not what we'd call, you know, a math podcast. When people start <laughs> throwing in probability and numbers, we're just like, sure, that sounds right. Um, <laughs> I, I usually play very very much that way where I'm like, okay, I feel like I got enough in my hand. I feel like I got enough on the board where I can go take advantage of this moment. So I I just kind of feel out the board and I have general kind of ways I go about the game. And then when I see the opportunity and it feels like that right moment, I'll, I'll go in. Yeah. I'm the exact same way. That's why, um, that's why I asked because, uh, I'm, I'm the same way in my approach to the faction. Like I want to play, I want to have every option available for me. And I, I definitely play games based off sort of intuition. It's like, if you ask me why I put that model there, it's like, Oh, I don't know. It's just like muscle memory. You know what I mean? Like that's most yeah. of my war gaming experience. So well, there, there's also a lot of times where people will be like, Oh man, you were like, just out of my threat range and it's nothing that i measured or it's yeah. nothing that i was like oh i know your threats this i was just like eh, this feels like a safer spot you know definitely yeah i, I so i i could definitely see why outcasts would kind of turn you off i guess if if you feel like you need to play the whole faction um but that's also why i'm like I'm I'm trying to find the the specific one pool where Terra is, you know, the best option <laughs> yeah. for me too. Well, I'm I'll, I'll do boat, the same thing, man, because I told Craig this when I talked to him. I was like, so if I was going to play the worst master in Outcast, who would it be? He's like Hamlin. I was like, okay, I just bought those models. They're they're in the <laughs> they're in the cart, and we're gonna try to make it work. 
Yeah, snowflake disorder. Right? That's right. That's right. That's why I used to, there's a guy I used to follow in England. He's in Australia now. It's uh, Beard Minis. And he always wow. had the, he always had the snowflake report where he showed what are the most popular factions and then what were the least. So that way, if you want to be a snowflake, you could take, you know, the least popular. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I definitely, uh, I'm in the same boat. Like I, I, I own like almost all of Bayou just off of like trading off war machine and stuff. Mm -hmm. But the only, the only like master that's intrigued me has been like Wong and stuff like that. Like, I don't want to play. I do not want to play summer. Like yeah, I would I'm never... actually, I'm actually about to pick up Wong just because I don't know. Shenanigans. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there's something there. It just has to be tapped. I don't know. Yeah, there's so, there's some cool things that are there. Uh, it's just it, it's a little bit of jank, which I used to play a lot of Circle of Orboros, so I definitely appreciated some good jank. When, when were you? When was you playing War Machine? I wonder if we ever played each other. Like, uh, let's see here. That would have been 2000, probably about 2012 to 2016 ish. Whenever that, yeah, okay. whenever That's the. When Whenever the pundit program got killed off, that's when I stopped playing. Okay, yeah, that that's when I moved to North Carolina was 2016 okay. because I used to go to Greenville for War Machine and Kill Ball tournaments quite a bunch. Like one of my best friends lived there, so I would just crash with him. Mm -hmm. um, maybe a, when was you playing Kill Ball? I mean, I, I I played Guild Ball pretty much all the way up till like 2019, and I played a lot in Greenville, so we we might have run into each other. Yeah, yeah, Guild Ball there. Yeah, I went to like three Greenville tournaments, I believe, in season two. Oh yeah, uh, I was a I was a ballista one trick, so <laughs> I don't know. Just slam it in there. Trick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. Like, it, I know as soon as things start opening up, I know that me and a bunch of other guys, because I have a lot of connections in the southeast, and um, I know that there's a couple tournaments that people are going to eventually throw at Gigabytes in Atlanta and. We're, we're planning on some in Columbia and South Carolina and, and North Carolina is right up the road. So it, it's a great area, I think, to be playing Malifaux, which is why I picked it up because the models look cool. Uh, there's a lot of competitive play, which I'm all about, and uh, it's just popular in the area. So that I think it's a great game for people to get into. Yeah, and I, I, think, I think it's the number one game if you have like a group of friends uh, that you want to play with a bunch, which sounds like it's kind of your situation with yep. your pod buddies. Like, I feel like it's the number one game where you can play the same matchup like 20 times in a row. Um, and you know, it'll be a little fresh each time, uh, which was not the, which is like one of the bigger hurdles I had with, um, like war machine as like, it was big in the triangle, but when I lived in South Florida, it was like, I'm playing the same three people over and over. Yeah. We can only own so many models <laughs> to play against each other. Well, and that that game is so intensive that you have to you have to play the matchups to figure out the list that you know because it's all about the meta. So you just need to figure out what are you going to drop in your two list into that matchup. Definitely, yeah. All right, man. Oh. Well, what are some uh, something you want to plug? I know you got at least the uh, the podcast that you that you throw throw down every now and then. Yeah, me and my buddy, um, uh, we host Swamp Fiends. Uh, he started the game in January, so the I guess the point is to like talk about improving play because uh, he's you know sort of new to the game. A little fresher. Like yeah, 
Uh, I feel bad for the dude though, because like at this <laughs> point he's done like 14 podcasts and he's, it's probably only been able to play like 14 games because nice. he started in January and then everything closed February 8th or whatever. So, yeah, I actually, I think I'm a little lucky because the close knit friends that I have, um, are willing to come over. Or I'm willing to go over to their house. So I've actually gotten a lot of in like in face kind of, uh, face-to-face games probably the last month and a half just because we're not going anywhere. We all work from home and we're like, you know, we're not going to be savages. So as long as you wash your hands and don't touch me, we're good. Yeah. We did that a couple of times, but now I, I'm in South Florida, which yeah. is like the worldwide hub right now, like Miami County is or something. Oh, yeah. And uh, so my wife had to, was exposed and then Jimmy, I believe, has it right now. Like, actively has COVID right now. Oh, so wow. It's like, it's it's literally everywhere here, so. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it just, it does. And hopefully, it eventually gets better instead of getting worse. But we'll see how that goes. Um, because, yeah, I definitely want to, just want to start playing some of these Malifaux tournaments, man. It's just, yeah, it, competitive play is just a lot of fun. There's a lot to be said for just, you know, household games, but when you get to a tournament and you see stuff you haven't seen before, that's where I really start enjoying it. Did you guys ever do Crucible, Orlando? Yeah, I've been to Crucible a, a couple times. I got a buddy that lives down in Florida. Um, I was going to go, was I going to go this year? I can't remember if they actually, I think they still had it. It's usually in the, in the winter. It's, it's, it's still happening supposedly and it's in October. <laughs> and it is uh, in Florida, so <laughs> they'll but, probably still have it. Yeah, I don't know if that would be smart to do at this point. I don't think we have anything. We were going to do a Malifaux tournament at the same weekend, but just not do it at Crucible. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. It might be a moot point. <laughs> we'll see. Just 2020 is canceled. Let's just yeah get ready for 21. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um well, thanks again, Cody, for coming on. It was a lot of fun talking to you. I'm glad you're kind of a night owl like me. I, I don't mind, you know, staying up late and talking some Malfo. Yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. It was a blast. All right. Well, those of you that want to check out more content, make sure that you guys subscribe to our YouTube channel, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, if you want to support the podcast directly, make sure that you guys check out our Rage Quit Wire Patreon page and anything you can donate at least a dollar up to 15 and that'll help keep the lights on and, you know, improve the podcast and the YouTube channel. So thanks again, Cody, for coming on and looking forward to sometime in the hopefully near future meeting you and some other of the uh, Malifaux people in the Southeast. Yeah, same, man. All right, well, until then, make sure that you guys flip cards, flip tables, and we will see you all next time.